0: Good morning. If you're at the prayer quilts, please don't feel the need to rush as you pray for uh, for people this morning. If you have children in the uh, in the nursery that need to be taken back, you can take them back now. Kid Zone will be staying here in the service. We're going to be celebrating communion uh, after the after the sermon, and so Kid Zone will be staying in here, but if you have children through four years old, you can go ahead and take them uh, back to the nursery. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be picking up our sermon series in the book of Philippians. After last week, we took a break for a focus on our family ministries. Uh, And so we're picking back up where we left off. And so Philippians 3 is where we will be. And we're going to be talking about the vital importance of rejoicing in the Lord and what that means to rejoice in the Lord or to find joy in the Lord. In the Lord. And that's what I've titled my sermon today is rejoicing in the Lord. I'm going to read the text for us. Philippians three verses one through three, and then I'm going to pray for us. In addition, my brothers and sisters rejoice in the Lord to write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Let's pray. God, Your Word is good and true. God, I pray that You will... Work in our hearts and minds. Help us believe it as true. Help us respond the way that you're calling us to. Holy Spirit, work in, our, work in us. Work in this church. Build us up and use us for your glory, God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we're examining what God's Word has to say about rejoicing in the Lord, I think it's important for us to clarify what God's Word means uh, when we see this command to rejoice in the Lord or find joy in the Lord. We're not talking about happiness here. Uh, happiness is determined by our circumstances. It rises and falls based off of things that are going on, things that we are feeling, things that we are experiencing. And so when we hear the command from God's Word to rejoice in the Lord or to find joy in the Lord, it's important that we know that this is different than happiness. The world, we oftentimes kind of tie these two together. Uh, Bob Dylan was being interviewed, and there is a... Um, A quote from one of his interviews that I think really captures, the way he worded it, captures the idea of our happiness being tied to our circumstances. So Dylan has this amazing music career, has toured the world, knows all of these famous people, has been parts of like societies changing, parts of these movements that are shifting the world and changing the world. And the interviewer asked him, have you ever touched happiness? Have you ever held it in your hands? And listen to Bob Dylan's words. Dylan says this, we all do at certain points, but it's like water. It slips through your hands. As long as they're suffering, you can only be so happy. How can a person be happy if he has misfortune? And that captures the idea of happiness, which is not what we're talking about today. Something that will slip through your hands. Something that's temporary. It is based on our circumstances. We're talking about joy and joy in the Lord specifically. What it means to rejoice in the Lord. And so as we're talking about joy, I love this definition from Stephen Lawson. He says this, joy is the supernatural excitement that we experience in God himself. It involves gladness of heart in the things of God. So supernatural excitement in God himself, a gladness of heart concerning the things of God. And so as we look today at what God's Word says about rejoicing in the Lord, I want us to keep that in mind, separate from happiness, okay? So the first thing that we're going to see from this text is this. Rejoicing in the Lord is a command. Rejoicing in the Lord is a command for children of God. Let's look at verse 1 from Philippians 3 again. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Paul is speaking to believers, to children of God, because he calls them brothers and sisters. He only uses this in terms of people who've trusted in Christ. And he says, in addition, my brothers and sisters, and then he gives the command, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ for who he is and what he has done for you. And the word rejoice there is written in the original text in present tense, which means it should be a constant in the believer's life. There should be a constant joy in the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord in what He has done for you, what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you. There should always be joy in your life around those things and a focus ...on those things. So it's not something that will go up and down with our circumstances. Right? Like Dylan saying something that slips... ...it's like water when it slips through your fingers... ...or slips through your hand. It's not happiness. It's looking at what God has done and His goodness for us. What Jesus Christ has accomplished for us... ...in finding great joy in our precious God... ...and our precious Lord and Savior... Our problem, church, is we set our sights on happiness. We make happiness our end goal, oftentimes. The world does. Uh, The world always has. Our nation was founded on the idea that we have the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, And our hearts are drawn to that and focus in on that. And believers, we are called beyond just seeking happiness. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with experiencing happiness. We should, as believers, when we experience things in this world that are good gifts of our loving Father, we should experience happiness in this world. But that has to stop being our obsession. That has to stop being our focus point in our life. And that's what God's Word calls us beyond. Is we're moving beyond happiness and we are finding constant joy in our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we've got to start rejoicing in him. We've got to start reminding ourselves, this is what Jesus has done for me. And because of that, because of what he's accomplished, because of who God is, I can be a person of joy. I can rejoice always, no matter what circumstance I'm in. Even if I'm walking through the darkest of days of my life, I can rejoice in my good God and my Savior Paul says it is to write to you about this again is no trouble for me. So he's already called them to rejoice back in chapter two. He says, if I end up giving my whole life for the benefit of your faith, I will be glad I will rejoice. And then he calls them to do the same. You, too, need to be glad and rejoice. And so here. Here. Paul says, look, I don't have trouble. It's no trouble for me to keep reminding you of this command. And he surely, in his ministry to them in person, spoke to them about rejoicing in the Lord. Again, later in the letter, we see these words. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice Why does he keep talking about this? Why does he keep bringing this up over and over? Philippians, the epistle of joy, it's a constant theme. It's a constant reminder, but it's always tied to finding joy in our Savior, in Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished for us. So for us, church, as we look at God's word and and recognize rejoicing in the Lord is a command then it's time for us to obey God's command... We need to obey the call for believers to rejoice in the Lord. And so what I would like to challenge each of us this week, and some of you have journals like this where you make prayer requests and you write out things that God has, has, has done, ways that He's answered prayer. So if you have something that you can use, great. If you don't, I would love for us to this week start a joy list. Start some type of journal, some type of document that says, These are the things that I can rejoice in God about. These are the good things that my loving God has done for me. This is the way that I've been cared for. This is the way that I've been forgiven. This is the way that I've been loved. And then come back to that. Because we need reminders. Especially when we're walking through the dark days. Especially when our hearts are breaking and the world's falling apart around us. We need reminders of how good our loving God is. And so let's start making a joy list and say, I can I can rejoice in God for this. I can rejoice in God for my forgiveness. I can rejoice in the Lord for the promises that I have because of Jesus Christ. Keep coming back to it. Keep remembering God's faithfulness keep adding to it because he will continue to be faithful. That's a beautiful truth about who God is. He is always faithful. So, let's obey the command to rejoice in the Lord and let's do that by constantly thinking and reminding ourselves of what it is that we have to rejoice in for who he is and what he's done for us. Next, we see this. From the text rejoicing in the Lord protects us from false teaching, rejoicing in the Lord protects us from false teaching. So not only protects us from false teachers, but protects us from being drawn into believing their false teaching. Looking back at verse one again, in addition, my brothers and sisters rejoice in the Lord to write to you again about this is no trouble for me. And is a safeguard for you. Verse 2. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. So at the end of verse 1. He says. It's no trouble for me to keep reminding you of the call to rejoice in the Lord. And. It's a safeguard for you. It's a protection for you. It keeps you safe. If you constantly remind yourself of who God is and what he has done for you, it keeps you safe. And then verse 2 is going to detail what it keeps us safe from. And so in verse 2, he has three words for these false teachers. Three words critiques of them, three warnings about them, watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now we may initially, as you're thinking, well, the dogs, the evil workers, like who are these people uh, that he's talking about? And the last critique, the last warning points us to who he's talking about. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. And so the word for mutilate is a play on words. Paul uses a word, mutilate, that in the Greek rhymes with the word for circumcise. And so what Paul is saying here is the people who are telling you that there is something you have to, to do, There's a physical act for you to do if you want to be forgiven by God, if you want to be approved of by God, then you have to follow all of the Old Testament law and men. That includes you going through getting circumcised. Paul's pointing to these teachers, these false teachers, because what they have created in trying to obey God's law and calling people to obey God's law is they've turned God's law from the Old Testament into a works-based salvation for Gentile believers. If you want God to love you, if you want God to approve of you, then you have to be obedient in everything. And that includes being circumcised men. And if you're going to do that, that's the only way for you to be forgiven. That's the only way for you to be accepted by God. And Paul says, no, this is false teaching. He has a harsh word for them. He calls them dogs. He calls them workers of evil. He's saying these people who seem like they're talking about good things, who are saying you need to obey God, they're actually apart from God. They're the ones that are unclean. They're the ones that are evil because they are saying that there's something that you have to do if you want to truly receive forgiveness for your sins. There's a work that you have to do if you want to be accepted and forgiven and loved by God. And Paul says, this is not okay. You have to watch out for this false teaching. And it didn't look too bad Obey the law. And you think, well, that sounds okay. And when the thing about false teaching is a lot of times it sounds similar to what it is that we know about God's word, there's some, some common things that are there. That's how people are drawn away. If it's so glaringly obvious that it is in opposition to everything from God's word, then people are like, oh no, that's, that's not true at all. But the problem with false teachers is they take portions of things that are true and then they distort them just enough. And people hear it and they think, oh well, they're, they're using Scripture. It must be correct. They're they're talking about God. it It must be correct. And we have to watch out for this. We have to be on guard because false teaching is dangerous, even if it seems very subtle. Listen to the way that Paul speaks about it in the book of Acts. As he is getting ready to leave the Ephesian church to continue his journey... In Acts 20, he gives this warning to the Ephesian elders. Acts 20, verse 28, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on alert, remembering that night and day, for three years, I never stopped warning each one of you with tears. Savage wolves will destroy the flock. Savage wolves will lure people away with their distortions of the truth. False teaching is dangerous. And so, for us, we need to guard ourselves from false teaching. Not just guard ourselves from the people that we determine, well, those people must be false teachers, but also guard ourselves from believing things that aren't truly what Scripture says. Right We have legalism in our own hearts. We are tempted to that, all of us. And when we confess, the, the, the challenge for us is we confess that we are saved by God's grace and not through our works. And we think, well, because I confess that is true, I'm not tempted to believe. Some of the ideas of legalism or believe some of the ideas of the prosperity gospel, false gospels that say, hey, you will receive certain blessings because of your faithfulness to God. Uh, he wants to give you health. He wants to give you wealth or you have earned God's approval because you've been good enough. These are false teachings that our hearts can easily be lured into believing and thinking God's really proud of me for what I've done here. God's really proud of me for what I've accomplished. We have to guard ourselves. And so scripture helps us in this church. And what I would like to do, we've I've asked you to memorize scripture with me before. I would like to ask you to memorize a short uh, passage from Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. This is just a good reminder of we are saved by God's grace only and that we have brought nothing to our salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from selves. it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Would you join me in memorizing those three verses? Just a beautiful reminder of I am saved. I've been approved of by God. I've been adopted into God's family because of his grace only. I didn't do anything to deserve it but God loved me and Christ died for my sins. And so I'm clinging to that. So let's memorize those memorizing scripture is good for our hearts. It's what helps us hold us to the truth and helps us have words of God to speak to our own hearts and our own minds when we start to believe things that aren't true. So let's Use this as a way to guard ourselves from false false teaching and to guard ourselves from believing things that are not accurate. The last thing we see from this text back in Philippians 3, we see this rejoicing in the Lord keeps us focused on Jesus. Rejoicing in the Lord keeps us focused on Jesus, and that's what we all desperately need. So let's look at verse 3. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, who boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. Paul uses this verse to contrast the false teachers, the people who've put their hopes in the physical things that they've done. And he says in verse 2, these people are not God's children. They've put their hope in something that they themselves have done. And so he contrasts that and says, no, here's the true believer. And so he says, here's the circumcision. Here's the people that are true children of God. And he uses three explanations of who the true children of God are in this verse. We're the true children who worship by the Spirit of God. And so the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. And so he says, if you, you know, you're being told by some people that you're, Truly a child of God, if you've done a physical thing or if you followed a certain law, that makes you a child of God. He says, no, if you have that Holy Spirit indwelling you, you're a child of God. It's not by something that you personally have done. It's not by following a certain law. And if we're worshiping by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit Jesus tells us we'll testify about Him,'ll we'll point us constantly to Him,'ll we'll remind us that it's because of Him that we're forgiven, that we're accepted, that we're loved. So true children of God are worshiping by the Spirit of God. True children of God boast in Jesus Christ. I'm saved because of Jesus. I'm forgiven because of Jesus. And then he takes the opposite of that to clarify again. And do not put confidence in the flesh. It means they recognize, I didn't do anything to be approved of by God. I brought nothing to this. The only thing that I brought to my salvation is my desperate need for a Savior. And God loved me and He forgave me. Do you remember the hymn, Rock of Ages? Some of you probably remember that hymn. Uh, I remember that from my childhood. That's one of the hymns that I can just close my eyes and think about and I can hear the sound of it, the sound of our church singing those words when I was a little kid and hear the voices like I heard them repeatedly. Rock of Ages cleft for me let me hide myself in thee and then there's a verse that says this nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross I cling nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross I cling that's boasting in Jesus Christ That's putting no confidence in the flesh. That's saying, God, I did nothing. I just brought my sin and my brokenness and my desperate need. And because of Jesus, I'm forgiven. Because of Jesus, I'm loved. Because of Jesus, I have a new life. We need to stay focused on Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12, verse 2 Says this. I'm just going to read the first part of the verse. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Some of your translations may say the author and perfecter of our faith. That word keeping your eyes on Jesus. Fixate on him. Stay locked in on him as your centering point. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And church, that's what we are called to do. And that's what rejoicing in the Lord helps us do. It turns our attention from ourselves. It turns our attention away from our circumstances. It turns our attention away from our own works and focuses our gaze in on Jesus Christ. So church, let's stay focused on Jesus every day. This week, I'd like to challenge you with reading a couple of passages that are beautiful images from Scripture of who Jesus Christ is. So if you want to write these down, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, we looked at that previously. That beautiful passage about Christ's humility and his exaltation. So Philippians 2, 5 through 11, and then Colossians 1, 13-22. through 22. Read those this week. Let's read them as a reminder. This is who my Savior is. Use these as a tool to rejoice in the Lord, to cause you to find great joy in who your Savior is and what He's accomplished for you. Let's stay focused on Jesus. We've been commanded, church, to rejoice in the Lord, who he is, what he's accomplished. If you have not experienced the forgiveness that comes from putting your faith in Christ, I invite you to schedule a time to meet with me. I would find no greater joy than to tell you the good news of the gospel the way that you can be forgiven, the way you can be adopted and brought into the family of God because of what Jesus has done for us. He's the only hope that we have. And church, for us, let's pursue a life of joy that's found in Jesus Christ. Not staying focused solely on our circumstances. Circumstances are going to be high and low and the feelings that come along with that, the happy feelings that come along with that will slip through our fingers quickly. But we always have an opportunity for joy, rejoicing in God for what Jesus Christ has done for us. Keeping our eyes focused on Jesus Rejoicing in the Lord will help us with that. Rejoicing in the Lord will guard us from believing things that aren't true. So, because of Jesus, we can be a people of joy. And because of Jesus, we can be a people who rejoice in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you have always been good and faithful to your children. We thank you for that. We ask for forgiveness for the times that we doubt that. We ask for forgiveness for the times that we set our sights solely on happiness in this world instead of the true joy that we can have because of Jesus Christ. Remind us daily of our desperate need for him. Remind us daily that we are called to a life of rejoicing because of Jesus Christ. No matter what our circumstances are, help us do so, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to prepare for taking communion. You should have picked up the elements at the back when you came in. They were on the table. Uh, before we take communion together, uh, we are going to just take a few moments. Kathy's going to play for us. And I just want us to have a couple of moments where we uh, prepare our hearts and minds, uh, just reminding ourselves of what Jesus did for us. Uh, Taking time to thank God that he sent Jesus to die for our sins. Taking time to confess any sins that you haven't confessed yet. And taking time to confess your desperate need for Jesus. And so as Kathy plays, would you spend some time just quietly praying for a couple of moments and then Cody Walker is going to come up and lead us in our time of communion.
1: So um David asked me to lead in communion and he's like, you know, take 5 to 3 to 5 minutes to kind of share something and then lead in communion and I was like, okay, well I work with the kids, so let me see if I can find like an object lesson that can like tie in the gospel and communion. And I'm looking, I'm online looking, looking, and finally Megan looks over and says, "You know that like the actual communion is an object lesson. It's bread and that symbolizes something. And so I was like, oh, well, that's a good point. That, that is the object lesson, um, is the actual the items that we use. And, but in that time of me looking for an object lesson, I learned several things about communion that I didn't know before. I grew up in church, and I've taken communion since I was like six, and it's usually the same process every time um, but there's a few things that I learned, and I wanted to share that with you, um, the process that I've learned. So, did you know that the early church, whenever they would meet, usually every time they would meet, they would take communion. And that's vastly different than us, who, you know, some churches I've been at, they do it like once a quarter, or twice a year, or once a month. But the early church did it every time. And I've heard the argument of, well, if you do it too much, that takes away from the importance and the significance of the act of communion. And to that, I would say, well, we we have to kind of remember what communion was for. And so I I do have a picture of my family. Um, And how many of you guys have pictures in your house um, that hang up of your family or of things that you've done? Um, So hopefully a lot of you have pictures hanging up. And for me, when I see this picture... I can look back and I can say, oh, this is before we lived in our house. We had just moved back from China. Um, we had chopped down a tree to get our house in because uh, we needed to cut down a tree. We had just gotten our dog who is now the size of our house. Um, but he's really small here and Owen did not want to take pictures at all. It helps me to remember that specific time. But then also as I look at this picture, I can see like how much bigger my kids are now. And we're not in an RV. We're in our house now. And... It gives me, like I look at it and it makes me happy. It gives me joy, kind of what uh, Pastor David was talking about. And so I can see and I can remember, but it also gives me joy um, just looking at it. And so when we think about communion, that's what communion is. Communion is a picture. Jesus, they didn't have cameras back then to take pictures and hang on their wall. Um, But communion is a far better picture than my picture here or the pictures that we have in our house. It's a picture of what Jesus did for us. Um, We can see that the bread is to symbolize his body, that he was here. Um, He walked the earth, and he was perfect, and he never did anything wrong. Um, But he he did that. And then the blood, the the second part, that's to symbolize, or the juice, is to symbolize his blood. And that's, he sacrificed himself for us um, to fix the covenant. Um, So if you think back, the Israelites had the covenant with, god the promise of well you you need you you sin and there has to be blood for that that that's the only way to fix it and jesus's blood fixed that covenant to where we don't have to make that sacrifice anymore jesus was that sacrifice and the second thing that i learned that this isn't only for remembrance so usually when the pastor gets up and says all right we're going to take communion um, jesus said do this in remembrance of me and I found out that, yes, Jesus does say that, but a lot of pastors get that from First Corinthians chapter 11, when Paul's telling the Corinthian church, like, here's how you take communion. Um, we have the example of Jesus, but then we have the example of Paul doing it with a church. And usually that's where they stop. That's verse 25. Verse 25 is Jesus saying, do this in remembrance of me. But there's also a verse 26 after that, which I, I don't think I've ever heard in my life. And I think it's equally important. Um, But verse 26 says, For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that should give you joy and excitement because it's it's showing us that, hey, yeah, Jesus did that, but that's not the end. He's also coming back, and he's going to fix our broken world, and he's going to make it perfect again. And... I'm like, how have I never heard that before? Like that's that. Yeah, the remembrance is important, but also he's coming back, and this shows us um, to remember that. And it's also an opportunity to present the gospel. And if we look in uh, Matthew uh, 26 through verse 26 through 30, we can see Jesus. He's presenting the gospel with this. And so I'm going to read that really quick. He says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood, the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. So that goes back to that covenant with the Israelites. Um, Jesus is saying, My blood is that fix of that covenant. I will tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day that I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So Jesus presenting that, presenting the gospel of, I'm the fix of that. This is, you need me to fix that covenant, but also, I'm coming back. I'm not going to do this again with you until I'm back that second time. And so as we take communion together, um, yes, as we take it, it is a remembrance of what Jesus did. He came, he lived perfectly, died for us. Um, but also, it's, um, let's celebrate the picture that Jesus gave to us to proclaim the good news that he's coming back. Um, this isn't something that we earn. It's a gift, and David talked about that. We can't do anything. It's, it's a gift that we just have to accept. Um, and it's the best gift that we can accept. And if you can't have joy about that and that longing, then I don't. there's not really much I can do for you at this point then. Um, so if you will, um, if you will take your bread, we'll go ahead and take communion. Um, so in verse 26, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took his bread. He had given thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. And so, this is the body of Christ given for you. If you will, take your juice in verse 27. He says, He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The blood of Christ shed for you the forgiveness of your sins. Let's pray. Dear God, I just want to come and thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for sending him to die for us, to fix that covenant and solve that covenant that you had for us, um, and that that's a free gift that we can accept. Um, Thank you also for this picture of joy that you give us to remember that Jesus is coming back someday, um, and he's going to He's going to fix this world of sin. um, And we thank you for that. Thank you for him. I pray that you'll be with us this week and help us to remember Jesus and your grace and your love. In your name I pray, amen.